One of the ways that we're uh, looking at Scripture lately is through the Psalms, and in particular, the Psalms of Ascent. We're calling them Psalms for the Journey because these 15 Songs of Ascent And they're ascending topographically, ooh, that's a fancy word, which is about the varied terrain of our uh, earth. They are songs of ascent topographically because pilgrims journeying to worship in Jerusalem actually ascended above their normal height to get to the city on a hill, the city of Jerusalem. So they ascended actually physically, topographically, but there was also an ascent spiritually. They were preparing their hearts and minds on their journey, and they were singing these songs that for us become a metaphor for our own journeys and our life with God. So let's imagine that like these pilgrims, we were taking a summer road trip, These Psalms of Ascent begin in Psalm 120, and basically that's the psalm for when you get into the car and you pull up Google Maps, and let's say we're headed to South Padre Island because, let's face it, it's a little bit better than Galveston, but when you put South Padre Island into your phone from where you are leaving here in Garland or Wiley or Dallas, you realize, oh yeah, that's a long way away. And you have this sinking moment where you're like, I am a long, long way for where I want to be. Psalm 120 is that psalm. It sets the whole tone for the album that are the songs of ascent. Where track one on the CD is I'm a long way for where I want to be, but I'm going to put this baby in drive and I'm going to head to my destination. And Psalm 121 is the psalm for when you're driving down around Austin And it dawns on you that, oh man, I'm only halfway there. You see, there were other times in my life where Austin was the destination and it seemed far, but I got a long way to go. So the next psalm, the next track is Psalm 121. That's the psalm where you thank God that you've made it thus far because you're aware of all the dangers on the journey. Psalm 121 is the trust psalm that becomes a greatest hit, and it's a psalm that prays and praises God for every mile that he didn't let your foot slip or your tires blow out on the road. If you missed Psalm 121, we encourage you to listen to that message last week on our podcast and just read it and sit with it. I think it'll become on your most played greatest hits list as well. It's a beautiful and powerful psalm that almost sounds too good to be true. Well, then we get to track number three, and that's where we're headed tonight. Psalm 122. Psalm 122 is when you've made it down past Austin and San Antonio and that, that deep, long stretch in South Texas, and then you begin to come over the horizon and you see this bridge that begins to lift up and you realize, oh, there's the beach. You've reached your destination. That's Psalm 122. They've been a long way from home. God has brought them safely through the journey and now they're standing right at the cusp of their destination. I finally see it, and it gives us reasons to sing and celebrate who God is. So we're in Psalm 122, in the Songs of Ascent. 
I'm going to read this. The words will be on the screen. Tonight I'm reading from the New Revised Standard Version. This is how a song of ascent of David, Psalm 122, sounds. Ready? I was glad when they said to me, let's go to the house of Jerusalem. Our feet are standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem, built as a city that is bound firmly together. To it the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, as was decreed for Israel to do what? To give thanks to the name of the Lord. For there the thrones for judgment were set up, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. For the sake of my relatives and friends, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. This is the word of God for the people of God. And we say, thanks be to God. Track three of our songs of ascent. Psalm 122, and how we're going to spend the remainder of our time together is to ask one big question with at least three answers from this psalm. Our big question of this evening is this, why do we worship? Why do we worship? Not even what is worship, which of course comes from the root of worth, right? We're giving worth to God. God, you're worth my singing, my heart, my attention, my focus, my finances, my time, my life. Why? Not just what, why? Why do we keep coming together? Why do we get in our cars and put it in Google Maps and hope, Toby, that our car starts on the journey? Why do we keep doing this week after week, standing in the gates, maybe not in Jerusalem, but here in Garland? Why do we worship? That's our big question. I'm going to give you at least three answers. The first answer is this. You ready? We meet God. We meet God. I need you to know, not because I'm the one who matters. I need you to know it. Not because I'm the one who talks to you most of the time up here, although I'm looking forward to a nice break and listening the next two weeks. It's not to meet Adam. It's not to meet Kelly. It's not to meet any of the stuff. The primary reason is that we meet God. What we do here matters because it's reminding us that we become present to God's presence when we are together lifting high the name of God. Worship the gathering, the singing, the giving of worth to God, what we do here at Saturdays at five o'clock ought to deepen our relationship with God, not be the sum total of our life with God. This is a challenge in DFW because it's primarily um, our faith, they believe, is the expression of just showing up somewhere once a week. We give God our life with God. But we're teen, hour and a half some places, And that's the sum total of our life with God. But worship ought to deepen our relationship with God, not be the sum total of it. Worship, I'll say this, is a response to God. 
It's not the sum total. It's, hey, I've seen you throughout my life. I've seen you throughout my week. I've sang and prayed and listened. At some point, hopefully, ideally, on a Monday or a Tuesday or a Wednesday, but I gather together to worship as a response of all you've done previously. So when we get here in our worship gatherings, you need to understand that they're both a finish line for what's come before, but it's also a starting line for what's ahead. Do you get what I mean? It ought to deepen what's already happening Monday through Friday. So we gather as response and we come here and we cross the finish line through those doors and just like we've been doing all this week, thank you for this week because last Saturday we didn't know what this week held. But we come back and we say, you've brought us safely thus far, thank you. That's our finish line. But hopefully you hear a word in the sermon, in the prayer, in the singing that goes with you as you then are sent, not just dismissed in a few moments, you're sent back into your week and you say, okay, I've got a little bit more fuel for the journey. It's also the starting line. I see this in the beginning of this psalm because when he arrives, when he gets to his destination, when he sees the beach over the horizon, he sees the gates of Jerusalem, the walled city, that's how he talks about it being tightly knit together. He says, oh man, it's so good to be back. I was glad when they said to me, let's go. Why? Because I've been on a journey this week and I've finally arrived. God's to this place. How many of you, kids, think Christmas is your favorite holiday? Show of hands. No kid bud back there. Now, parents, when does the Christmas excitement and anticipation begin? December 24th, right? That's when they start to get excited about Christmas. Or is it like December 23rd, 22nd? Dude, thanks a lot to Walmart and Target. When they start clearing out Halloween, boom, Christmas. Sorry, Thanksgiving. It's time for the wreaths and the trees. And if you're Becky Knight, Christmas starts in July. More on that later for our ladies' night. There's something about the magic of Christmas, especially when you're young. Can you remember the anticipation setting out on your journey toward Christmas that you, verse one of Psalm one, and you're dying to get there. And it's almost as if this is happening in verse one of Psalm 122. I was glad when they said unto me, it's Christmas morning, it's finally arrived. Let's open some presents and do what we've been waiting for. That's what's going on with the psalmist. There's some anticipation to this, but there's not only anticipation, there's also expectation. You see, I'm standing here in the gates. I'm standing here on the precipice to meet God. And if you are to meet God, presumably you have some expectation that he will do for you more than a present or some Legos on Christmas, but he will give you something that you need that you cannot get yourself. So you go to meet God that you might be transformed. And if we are not coming with expectation when we gather, that there might be something for you, then I think 
we're doing it wrong. I got a text from Idly in your gathering. Spoke about, hey, I hope that God shows up powerfully and mightily in your gathering this evening. I haven't heard from him on a Saturday evening ever, but something about this day moved him to text me to say, I hope that God works in your folks tonight. He must know that we were talking about and I was praying to arrive with expectation. When we talk about spiritual disciplines, we're talking about doing the things we can so that God can do what we can't. When you show up on a Saturday at five, it's not just to hear Adam or to sing or to hear Kathy. It's, it's to put yourself into a position to be acted upon. Because maybe you've been running around all week and God is just sitting there patiently waiting for you to sit down and listen for the first time. He's waiting for you to join with Kara tonight in prayer and reflection, to pause, not just because we're all doing it and you're waiting for her. What Maybe you have been, my really tune in to become present to God's presence, to meet with God and say, you know what, maybe you have been my hope and shield this week. Am I meeting God with anticipation? I'm excited, I'm eager, even when I don't feel like it. Am I more excited about meeting with God than I am the stuff on Christmas morning? Am I meeting God with anticipation and expectation that he might transform us and encourage us and move in us? That's the finish line moment but that's also where the starting line begins. I'm expecting you to do something. And so I think what happens next is this preparation. I've traveled here. I'm in the holy city. Oh, yeah, all of this space in worship, the tall buildings knit together. This is my people. This is my God. It reminds me who God is and who we are. It becomes the starting line and prepares me for the next season It's not only about anticipating my everyday life like this psalmist, this pilgrim will. It's not only about anticipation and expectation. It's about looking forward and preparation. And here's where we need to talk. If you want your kids to be glad when you say unto them, we're headed to the neighborhood church, how you talk about what we do matters. How you talk about Jesus matters. How you talk about God as a loving father or an angry tyrant matters whether or not they're going to be glad to get drug to church. Oh, that our children and students would be glad when we say unto them, let's go be with God and his people. I know it's been crazy because we haven't yet really gone back to our ordinary children's ministry, but let me tell you, I think there was a lot of kids that were glad to be in the ark last week, two weeks ago. We want to make, we want to disciple pre-disciples in this church. Before they say yes to Jesus, we want to know that they know that God has said yes to them and we want them to know that God loves them and he's inviting them each step in their journey. He's protecting them. He's made them. And so we want to prioritize what we do here so that our children might grow up to love God and love their neighbor and change their world. It's not just that we do fun crafts and activities. We're trying to disciple pre-disciples 
so that they would say yes and give their lives to Jesus for the sake of others and transform their hearts and our world. Amen? How we talk about this matters. How we talk about God matters. Church is a super easy habit to break. It takes a lot of discipline to make. And we wonder why our kids grab everything we can, gone. And sometimes we can do everything we can, but ultimately, like God, we allow them to choose what they're doing with their time. But I would encourage you to discern in love and gentleness how you might, while they're under your care and under your roof, speak about, encourage, and help them because it will prepare them for the rest of their life as they wade through the waters of this world with all different kinds of ideas about who they are and what they ought to do, would this be a grounding place that prepares them as a starting line for the rest of their journey? I hope that all of our kids will be glad when we say unto them, let's go to meet God together. The second thing we do in the why we worship. It's because we meet family. Going back to our Christmas illustration, (laughs) we're not only going to see our long Christmas, and I think the crazy thing about Christmas 2021 is we're not only going to see our long lost cousins that we usually do like once every three years, we're going to see a lot more folks because some of us had a pretty measly Christmas last year. So Christmas 2021 is going to be a moment where we go to the house of the Lord, where we ascend to Jerusalem, and we look around, we're like, oh yeah, where do you work now, Aunt so-and-so? What you doing? Oh, great. You remember who your family is and why it matters. In our church, we sign partner agreements at the beginning of the year, And it's not like Pastor Bud and I hold them over everybody and dangle them in front of you to guilt you. We just use this as a tool every year to reconsider our relationship and partnership with this church that we're endeavoring to be on mission as we follow Jesus together. And simultaneously, the gospel calls us simultaneously into two relationships. You want to guess what those two relationships are? The first is a relationship with God, and the second is relationship to the people of God, the church. The first is a relationship with God and Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit. The second is a relationship with God's people in the body of Christ, the church. Another question I could have asked instead of why do we worship could have been why go to church? And we could have had one point and the answer is because we are the church. It's a lot easier to communicate that when you don't own a building. Right? But it's a reminder that the church is a people And that we not only meet God, we meet one another. And we look around and we say, oh yeah, nice to see you again, cousin so-and-so. 
And I think the other thing is when the psalmist is reading and speaking and singing verses three to four, he's talking about Jerusalem. Look at this beautiful place. It's all knit together, tightly compact. He's talking about how, man, this is a safe space. The wall is built up. The city is knit together. There's these towers. And he talks about how, oh man, all the tribes are coming. Man, Benjamin, I haven't seen you in forever. Dan, oh gosh, these tribes. It's so great to get back together and to be God's people together. The psalmist must feel like the grandparents hosting Christmas Eve when the whole place is buzzing and all your food is getting eaten, but you don't care because they're here and it's loud and it's messy, but it's beautiful. This is how the psalmist is feeling. There's almost a nostalgia in Psalm 122. He's like, oh yeah, I'm reminded of all of these people. We've come to to meet family. Notice that within that psalm, if you're still looking at it and you have your Bibles open in Psalm 122, it talks about how the tribes come up as it was decreed, right? Do you see that there in verse 4? It's interesting because at some point you are going to get to a place and maybe you've been through a place where you're going to say, yeah, I, um, I don't feel like it. It's Saturday and it's hot. Maybe if we just met on Sunday morning and then we'll move to Sunday morning. Everybody's like, yeah, it's early. So maybe if it was Saturday afternoon. The thing, I don't say this to guilt you because we go through a season where, you know, you just don't feel like it. I think it's okay sometimes. Sometimes you need a break. But the deal is, if we only worshiped when we felt like it, guess what? You ain't going to worship that often. Oh, if only they didn't sing that song today. I wish they would do this. Maybe, yeah. There's something about that it's decreed that God wants to build within us this habit of praising with other folks. Like I said, it's an easy habit to break. It's a difficult one to make, which is why I think God wants us to continue. I think giving thanks, which is what he writes in the Psalms there, it was, it was decreed for Israel to give thanks. And they mean uh, literally giving thanksgiving offerings and also singing songs of thanks. How many of you make it a habit or a discipline to, to give thanks. Some of you in this church have talked about a gratitude journal. Is somebody still rolling with that? I was kind of looking at some people that used to, but, but I'm not trying to make them feel bad if I'm not a good journaler. That's why in our church so often we say, let's finish this sentence together. God, thank you for. I wasn't looking at you. This is summer. It's hot. These lights, she, I'm sweating not just because Amy thinks I'm in trouble. I think giving thanks has to be a discipline. Am I keeping my eyes open for reasons to sing and say thanks? Talking with the Phillipses this week after the surgery, it's just a reminder. It takes something that drastic to say, boy, I'm so thankful for someone to walk. When was the last time you said thank you for a hot shower? When some of our friends and neighbors, it's not an everyday occurrence. When was the last time you said thanks for clean water? 
when so much of the world is desperate? When was the last time you said thanks for a vehicle that starts? When was the last time you said thanks for the ability to eat, to give somebody a phone call and be encouraged, to remember that you're not alone? When was the last time you said thanks for the roof over your head? Or do we just take it for granted? That's why I think some of these things are decreed. It needs to be a discipline because God knows how easy it is for us to just go into autopilot. And it takes the drastic storms for us to remember how thankful we are for the boat. Let's get into the habit of saying, thank you for the boat. Thank you for the boat. Every child in here that are hot and ready for me to be done is a miracle. All the things it takes to get one child healthy and whole and delivered is a gift. Ask anybody who struggled to conceive or struggled through miscarriages. It's a miracle and we should never forget it. We should never take it for granted. I used to lead worship uh, at the homeless ministry, Our Calling. And I've shared this before, but I was thinking about it recently because I was sharing, uh, leading at a, a homeless event recently and I, and I felt the same way I used to. How can I get up here and say, hey, everybody, let's sing thanks to God for these people who slept outside last night. And I just am reminded every time of how grateful they are because they reminded me that there's always reasons to sing. They may not have as much as some of us, but they have a keen awareness of how grateful to God they are for daily bread. They've taught me time and time again, to my shame, that we always have reasons to sing. Worship is a response to what God has done. I'm living, I'm breathing. He's given me this moment now. That's all I have. So am I keeping my eyes open for reasons to sing and to say thanks? That's why we teach kids our manners. Say thank you. We've got to teach and encourage one another to keep saying thanks because we remember to give back to God what he's given us. That's worship. That's the what. But our third answer to the question of why do we worship in the Psalms is this. And finally, heaven meets earth. So we meet God, we meet our family, but also heaven meets earth. This is so wild because the Jewish folks, I use... Jew and Israel interchangeably. Um, And some of you may be confused at that. I was talking with someone this week that was like, is Jewish and Israel the same thing in Hebrew? And sometimes we take for granted some of that language. But Israel as a nation had the boldness, the audacity to believe that the one true God was their God. And that was the truth. They also had the audacity to believe that the holy city of Jerusalem, their capital in Judah, the southern part of their kingdom, was the epicenter of the whole world. There were bigger cities than Jerusalem. There were more beautiful cities than Jerusalem. But for the Israelites, Jerusalem was, and to many still today, it is the epicenter of the world. One place in particular, heaven met earth. And in one place in particular within Jerusalem, do you know where was the holiest place in the epicenter of the world? The temple. The temple is where heaven met 
earth. So holy, we know about this in some of the stories of Jesus in the Gospels, in the Holy of Holies. You couldn't go in there but one person once a year. This is the place where heaven and earth overlapped. It was God's space overlapping with ours. And this is why it's so crazy that Jesus came back and basically reoriented the whole of heaven meeting earth in his body. He said, you want to talk about a temple? This temple is going to be torn down and in three days it will be rebuilt. And they say, is he talking about himself or that building over there? Jesus is the place where ultimately heaven and earth will meet and overlap. But in the Psalms and for Israel, Jerusalem is the epicenter of the world. Jerusalem in its very name has baked within it a very special word we've talked about a lot in our church and it's called shalom. What do you think shalom means? We've talked about it some. Peace? Yeah, it's peace and then some. It's a peace that's not just um, the absence of conflict, but it's kind of like um, we sang about the peace that comes, an assuredness that everything is right. I can be still. There's flourishing. There's goodness. Everything is as it ought to be, which is why shalom is baked within Jerusalem And that's why at the end of the psalm, you see this repetition of the word peace, peace. I'm going to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Peace be within your walls. They're saying, with peace, may we go to the city of peace. May there be more peace. May we go and experience peace. May we go and be the people of peace. We want to be the epicenter of shalom and setting all things right. That's why he also says that's where judgments go forth. We come up to settle the things that we can't make sense of in our everyday life. We come that peace may be experienced and judgments may come from within the house of God. That's why we worship. In the chaos of your life out there, I hope that you come in here to meet God, to meet other people on the journey and get a little taste of heaven that reminds you that in the chaos of my life, God is still breaking through if I have eyes to see and ears to hear. There is still peace and flourishing in the midst of the storm and chaos around us. These pilgrims would travel to Jerusalem and sing these songs of ascent at least three times a year. There's three big festivals in the spring, and that's loaded with her, which is the time when Jesus had his last supper and was crucified, and that's loaded with meaning. Then you had the festival of weeks in the summer, which is called Pentecost, which wasn't just a New Testament church thing in Acts chapter 2. That was a Jewish festival for the harvest. And then eventually in the fall, the other big three festivals would be the festival of booths or tabernacles. And they'd make these little huts like they used to do in college for one week. The fraternities would make these little shelters and live in like the campus quad. And I always think about that for the festival of booths because the pilgrims would make these little shelters and they would stay as a reminder of when they stayed in the wilderness and received the law from God. Three big festivals, Passover, Pentecost, Tabernacles. Listen, 
Three times a year, they would get in the minivan and they would drive down as far as South Padre Island. They'd show up at the temple and they'd remember at Passover this. Hey, God saves. He saved our people in the minivan in the summer and they'd drive saving us today. Then they'd go home and later they'd get back in the minivan in the summer and they'd drive back down to the temple. They'd go up the hill and they'd sing these songs. And at the festival of weeks at Pentecost, at harvest, they would remind, oh yeah, God provides. Just like he did then, he's going to do it again. And then the third festival, the festival of booths, they go and they make their shanties and Uncle Remus has the best way to do it. Make sure you thatch this and do that. And it reminds them not only that God saves and that God provides, but God guides. Because he gave the law to my ancestors and my great, 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 great. So three times a year, at least spring, summer, fall, they're getting in the minivan. They're going back to make their sacrifices and thanksgivings. And they embody the story that God saves, that God provides, and that God guides. And this is why they keep showing up to meet God, to meet others, and get a taste of heaven. We get ground so that we can live God's story story in worship so that we can live God's story in between. When it shifts gears, as I was just talking about, pray for peace, pray for peace. The word pray is the Hebrew word to ask. It's not a formal worship word. It's the word you use when you're driving back home in your minivan and you say, oh yeah, ask mom to get milk from the store. It's the same word. So on Monday, after they're coming back from the temple, they're saying, oh yeah, God, I'm asking for peace in my everyday life. We get grounded in God's story in the big moments of worship, in the big festivals. Yes, God saves, God provides and God guides, but then we get to go out and live God's story in between because this worship sent us and we go and ask and we go and live in our everyday life. Israel's getting embodied in this is the formation for mission. The Israel's getting embodied in the story every time they go and every time they travel and then they get sent back home and they remind themselves, oh yeah, It's Tuesday and God still saves. It's Wednesday and God still provides. Are you with me on this? I love the way Eugene Peterson puts it in his book, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction, talking about these songs of ascent. He says this, The word of God is everywhere in worship. In the call to worship, we hear God's first word to us. In the benediction, we hear God's last word to us. In the scripture lessons, the readings, we hear God speaking to our faith parents. And in the sermon, we hear that word re-expressed to us. In the hymns, which are all to a greater or lesser extent paraphrases of scripture, the word of God makes our prayers articulate. Let's pause there real quick. I love the way that the words we sing are teaching your kids And they're teaching us. They're giving us words to articulate and pray. The words we sing aren't just things that stir our emotions. They're telling us something about who God is and what he does. Eugene Peterson continues. Every time we worship, our minds are informed 
our memories refreshed with the judgments of God, and we are familiarized with what God says, what he has decided, the ways he is working out our salvation. Why do we worship? We meet God, we meet family, heaven meets earth. We are grounded in God's story in worship so we can go and live God's story in between. Today, we see the overlap of heaven and earth in part in every healing and step like last Wednesday, in every neighbor that receives clothes and toiletries on Saturday morning, Today we see the overlap of heaven and earth in part, but one day we will see it in full. Until then, just like this psalmist, we worship, we work for shalom, and we wait for God's shalom. The end game is not just another temple, but a whole city, the new Jerusalem. Not that we all disappear and go up to heaven, but that heaven comes down to us. It's interesting that the second to last chapter in Isaiah speaks to this new Jerusalem, even holier and even more heaven on earth than what we can see in Psalm 122. And then the second to last chapter in our Bible, Revelation 21, speaks of the one in whom is new, heaven, God and man, Jesus the Christ. And he says, behold, I'm making all things new. Heaven now has a dwelling place on earth. The end game is not that we just go up to heaven, but that heaven comes in full to earth. And we'll be like Jesus because we'll see him as he is. And we're raised again with bodies made for heaven and this new earth. So until then, we work and wait for God's shalom and we worship. So I'll give you three closing questions for you to write down or snap a picture of. Oh, they're not on the slides, so really listen. How might we deepen our worship with greater expectation? How might we deepen our worship with greater expectation? What are we thinking when we come here? Do we just crash land? Or do we hope that in our meeting and praying and Saturdays and Wednesdays that we might meet God and he has something for us? Second question, how might we prioritize and pass on the family tradition to gather together? How might we prioritize and pass on the family tradition to gather together? And finally, how might we work for God's shalom now on earth as it is in heaven? How might we work for God's shalom now on earth as it is in heaven? Why do we worship? To meet God, to meet our family, because heaven meets earth. Father, we are grateful for this opportunity to gather freely in the name of Jesus, knit together by the power of the Holy Spirit, to become present to your presence, to exhale to the good news, who we are and whose we are to get grounded into the good news 
that Jesus is the reigning Lord of heaven and earth, and that all people are invited into life with him, where they find forgiveness and new life and the very life and breath of God and the Holy Spirit filling us and forming us. That is good news indeed. By the cross and resurrection, he has loosed the chains of bondage, of sin and death and evil, so that we might live anew in him. So we pray that we're so deeply rooted and grounded in that truth that whatever comes our way this next week as we approach the finish line that becomes the starting line, we would go in the knowledge that you are with us and you'll never leave us nor forsake us. So bless and keep us, nourish us for the journey. Through Christ our Lord, amen.